it's Robert Stelick with Blue Planet Surf. Welcome to the very first episode of the Blue Planet Show. I'm here in my home office in the garage and my neighbors are doing construction so you might hear some noises from outside. I'm super excited about this new show. My first interview is with Zane Schweitzer and this show is all about wing foiling and lifestyle and technique and so on, equipment, everything about wing foiling which is what I'm super passionate about right now and I want to uh, know more about it so that's why I want to interview all the, the top thought leaders on the leading edge of the sport, athletes, designers and so on. And uh, next week's interview is going to be with Balt Miller. He's in Switzerland so we got a big time difference but I'm super excited to get him on the show as well and talk a little bit about his super radical moves in wing foiling. I was inspired to start the show by Eric Antonsen's Progression Project podcast, which if you haven't listened to, you should check it out. I've been listening to it when I'm driving around. It's really a great podcast, and I'm going to post these interviews not only here on YouTube, but also on podcast channels. That's going to be available soon, so if you don't have time to watch the whole thing on video, we will also have this available as podcasts. And I know it's pretty long-form interviews, but I know if you're into wing foiling as much as I am, you'll be interested to watch the whole thing. So in this video, I asked Zane about his background as a waterman. He started really young as a professional windsurfer and then stand-up paddler and then now as a professional foiler and also a coach and teacher. So he has a really good background. And then he talks about an accident he recently had, a really deep cut from his foil. In the, from in the waves and there's a lot of learning experiences that he shares in that so it's good to listen to but the visual is pretty gory and bloody so if you're sensitive to that you might want to skip ahead to around 30 minutes where we start about talking about wing foiling actually wing foiling and then we talk about wing foiling a bunch and then at the end we talk about life and life during the pandemic, staying positive, having gratitude and so on. And that's actually my favorite part. So stick around for that really good stuff in, in the end too. So I hope you enjoy the show. Without further ado, here is Zane Schweitzer. All right, Zane, thanks so much for joining me. It's my first time doing this Blue Planet show. So I'm super stoked to have you as my first guest. Uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much, Robert. Yeah, it's great to have an opportunity to chat with you again. It's been a while since we've got to connect. So let's start a little bit about your, tell me a little bit about yourself and I'm gonna screen share and play some video of you growing up from YouTube. Let me see here. I was gonna play this video. Can you see that? Yeah. All right, so yeah, tell us a little bit about um, yourself growing up and all that. <laughs> yeah, I grew up here on West Maui over in Kahana and being surrounded by my big brother who's five years older than me and all his friends and as well my my parents and all their friends I got to be surrounded by some pretty amazing watermen and waterwomen I, I think my brother really had a huge influence on me though because at that time all him and his friends were like my heroes like they were all the up-and-coming junior pros in the shortboard surf world like Dusty Payne and Ian Walsh and Granger Larson and Clay Marzo. And so I was always chasing those guys around. And so I got introduced to big wave surfing at Honolulu Bay at a pretty young age, just chasing them around. And I think big wave surfing really set me on a journey to just 
be super in tune with the ocean. When As soon as I started feeling like the excitement of riding big waves, uh, that's when I really felt I was just caught by, you know, enthralled by the ocean because before that time, I was probably more enthralled by my little mongoose bicycle. You know? <laughs> but yeah, pretty quickly started to get into windsurfing and all that kind of stuff. And on the professional tour, I was about 12, 13 years old when I first started on the professional tour for windsurfing. Yeah, that really was. When I first met you, that was at the Battle of the Paddle, right? The second Battle of the Paddle, when you were just a little grom, I think, just traveling by yourself doing the race when you were still pretty young, yeah? Yeah, and that was years after, too. I was already a pretty <laughs> familiar with traveling at that point by the time stand-up paddling came into the world. But it, it's cool to see it go first full circle because when I was competing as a professional windsurfer, all of a sudden starboard started to make these stand-up paddle boards. And of course we've heard of them, seeing like guys like Laird Hamilton and Dave Kalama out riding paddle boards, doing downwinders and stuff, staying fit. Starboard sent us, sent me one. Actually, Connor Baxter and I, I believe we're like the first people in the whole country to, to get a stand-up paddleboard from Starboard. <laughs> and we had so much fun on them before the windsurf event started. We would, we would bring these stand-up paddle events on our travels. And before the wind came up, we would be out on the water, paddling around, catching waves, doing all that kind of stuff. And everywhere we went, people were like, what is that? What, can we try this? And we would a young little 13, 14, 15 year old. And we were like hosting clinics all over the world already at that age at windsurf events sharing this new sport of stand-up paddling and and it's cool to see it come for full circle you've seen kind of stand-up paddling go from being this little a niche of a thing to the world's fastest growing sport and now here we go again we got starboard sending us hydrofoils and earlier before that i got to work with alex aguera and this was my my real first enthrallment with stand with with hydrofoiling excuse me i tried it before with brett lickle when i was probably 10 years old but it was just like one time and i was able to get up and going but my legs were too small for the the strapped in boots because at that time it was on a first generation rush randall foil that brett lickle and all the boys like laird hamilton all those guys were using and they had one on the Motu Island and they asked if I wanted to give it a go and I threw my feet in it and was able to get a feel for flying but never I don't know it just was a one-time thing and until I saw Alex testing these downwind foils and I got involved with the, that early round of development with GoFoil and I, it just changed changed my world for sure. The first time getting out on a foil, one of his go foils, I remember riding it all the way to the beach and thinking, this is the funnest thing ever. Like it was my day in Lahaina, which I grew up riding. And uh, oh, Lahaina doesn't really ever get too exciting if you're used to surfing barrels or overhead waves, more of a longboard spot. But with the foil, it was so exciting. These little knee-high waves, we were able to ride 
all the way to the sand and then even pump back out. And this was before pumping was even a thing. It was just like, wow, we can make our way back out there. <laughs> just jumping. It's amazing how fast it's changed because that feels like that was just months ago, let alone years ago. And the gear has really changed. At that time, we were putting 12 foot six race boards onto downwinders with the foil. Yeah. And then we literally, with Sven Rasmussen, the owner of Starboard, and Connor Baxter, we, would, we were on the boat cutting a foot at a time off the board. <laughs> oh, okay, 12 foot six didn't work. Let's try 11 six. Then there's Sven on the boat with the hacksaw cutting a carbon fiber all-star race board, just chopping foot after foot. And then we got down to, I want to say we got down to maybe eight feet or nine feet long. And the foil was just too far forward at this point. It was like, it, the, it was just a scrap. And we're like, okay, now we know. Let's just go small. And after that, I put a foil on my, shortly after that, maybe not immediately after that, but I modified a box, huddle box onto one of my hyper nuts, a 6.9 hyper nut, which was what, you know, I'd use that board a lot uh stand-up paddle surfing and i already had the board around in my garage and had this thing modified for a go foil and uh, it was so fun to be able to get out on a downwinder and just not even touch the water from maliko gulch all the way to kahului harbor but not only that be be going faster than I ever could have imagined and having so much fun the whole way down it's I don't think I've done a normal downwinder on a sub board since honestly <laughs> <laughs> it's probably been about uh, I'd say four or five years since I've done like a, a solid season of training on a race board for downwinders so you, know, you kind of gave I've up just on the whole so... racing scene you, you gave up on that pretty much I didn't give up on it. I just am having so much more fun doing other things and so much more other opportunities doing other things. There's, there's a few years in my career and in my lifestyle where stand-up paddle racing had the most opportunity. And it was, uh, it was floating my lifestyle to be able to be a big wave surfer, a wind surfer, a stand-up paddler. But really, I was floating it from stand-up paddle races. And now I feel like we have, we've had a little bit of a shift in trends. Stand-up paddle racing is just taking a little bit of a dip. And uh, hydrofoiling and wing riding are just taking off. And my sponsors are excited about it too. So if I love it and my sponsors want me to keep doing it, then why go compete in a lake in Europe to go paddle 17 miles flat water? For me, it's not exactly where my heart is. But I'm, all, I'm definitely a guy who sees opportunity. And so I knew that I could train and I could be a great paddler. And I've won most of my world championship event wins that are under my belt are from racing. And it's given me so much experience to travel the world and to get a taste of really what it's like to be a true professional athlete. And race, racers are definitely, it's different than surfers. You get into diet, you get into training, you do everything you can to get that incremental increase. And so just transferring those skills that I've learned in professional stand-up paddle racing into my surfing lifestyle, whether it's big wave surfing or foil surfing or windsurfing, 
I, I feel like I'm able to make goals and smash them. And it's whether it's a mental obstacle or a, did I say mental? <laughs> whether it's a mental obstacle or a physical obstacle, I think between the preparations that an experience in these different areas of sport can can implement it, e even if it's just a, I'm just my wife and I are starting up our own uh, foundation this year and it's funny because a lot of the lessons I've learned in sport I'm transferring into business too and uh, yeah but I, I know you do a lot of good things like beach cleanups and, and coaching kids and all that kind of stuff is that what your foundation is going to be doing too yeah my our unofficial not-for-profit that I've ran for about 12 years is the Inzane Supergroms and we've introduced over 4,000 kids we've lost track by now it's been so unofficial but Definitely, I'd say over 4,500 kids in the last 12 years to ocean sport and ocean activism and conservation. And our main goal, of course, is getting them stoked on and having fun with each other on the water. And then at the end of these, oh, and then at the end of these uh, events, get the kids hands-on with the beach cleanup or some sort of uh, science and education exercise around coral reef or microplastics or the marine uh, biology and and the eco diversity in the area there's it's, it's a lot of fun so that's something I've been enjoying doing on on my travels and at home on the side of competing and and training and it's really rewarding because I, I give so much credit to where I am right now as a professional athlete because of all the lessons and all the mentorship I've had from guys like Dave Kalama and my dad and Brett Lickle and Archie Kalepa and I'm just so grateful to have had these these positive influences in my life and I think growing up my parents always encouraged me to, to share those same experiences and now with COVID hitting all contests going to, to nothing it was a good time I thought to, to really actually make our foundation official so yeah, this is maybe one of the first public announcements, actually. But our new foundation is Kahakukahi. And decided. Oh, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll link, link to it and have a place for people to get more information for sure. When I asked you about doing this interview, you told me you were laid up with stitches and so on. I just wanted to get into the story. I saw you just posted this video a few days ago on YouTube. So. Tell us about this day. Just tell, tell the whole story, what, what happened and stuff. It started off as a pretty fun day, just trying to hunt for some waves. And I knew it was a pretty windy day, so I brought my wing foil and foil gear as well. And uh, scored some waves at Honolulu Bay first, surfing, and it was a blast. And the whole time I'm looking at the wind line, just thinking, oh, it's cranking wind. And I cut my, my surf session a little short to go wing foil at one of my favorite training spots on West Maui. And it's a little more countryside. There's usually no one out on the water when I'm, if it's windy out. And definitely the only person wing foiling the area. And so this same to go for this day. So I went out on my own for a quick session. The tide was pretty low, which is normal for this spot. So I'm just getting my board out upside down with the foil up. And uh, right before I cleared the reef, there was a set that came. And it wasn't a big set, but it was, it was about head high, a little overhead. And uh, it was enough for me to hesitate letting go of my board because I had uh, no leash with my board. 
And so I held on to my board, like a, a just bear hugged it. And in the whitewash, as I'm getting pounded, my foil swings around and nicks my leg. Or I might have even kicked the foil. I'm not even sure. And, you know um, which part of the foil you hit, or are you not sure? I'm almost positive, just from the shape of the cut, I'm almost positive it was the, the trailing edge of the tail wing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't very wide, but it was very deep. And that's why I say that, because my tail wing isn't super wide. But it went a good inch and a half, two inches, all the way to the bone. And so that's why I think it was the tail wing. And the puzzle is probably sharper too, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm guessing it was that trailing edge of the tail wing and was able to get in at an angle to, to go, go down deep as opposed to slice. And so when I got it, definitely hurt. It felt like more of a Charlie horse at first, but as I'm getting back up through the waves, I'm like, I felt something flapping a little bit against my leg. And I'm like, I lift my foot up out of the water, which you could see in the video. I'm like, oh man, this, I cut myself and uh, just went straight in from there. And I learned a lot through this video and as well through my doctor, because I ended up doing tying my leg a little bit with my leash. It just seemed like the right thing to do. It was already attached to my leg. And I tied off my, my, my calf a little bit thinking I could slow down the bleeding. And that for everyone who's watched this video and I've included in the caption as well is big, biggest learning lesson for me is you probably don't need to tourniquet an injury unless it's too big or messy of a cut to have a pressure uh, wrap on. And so a pressure wrap would be better. And once I get back to my car, I realize, oh, I got duct tape. And so I ended up using duct tape and, and the, I, I also didn't know I had this little I for, almost forgot I had this little first aid kit in my car and it had these gauze pads. And so that would have been ideal instead of tying it, just putting the gauze or a clean shirt or something and then wrapping duct tape, a pressure wrap for a cut like this. The time that a tourniquet would be necessary from what I've learned is say if it was like a really wide open cut and you can't just put something over it to stop the bleeding. And so, yeah, I, I could have actually made my, the, my situation worse if, if I had a long drive. Luckily, I only had about 30 to 40 minutes before I was taken off the tourniquet and, and being seen by a doctor. And uh, yeah, so that was my biggest learning lesson from that is, yeah. and I think for everyone for, who's into sports in general, but also hydrofoiling or surfing, that's over reef, it's always good to have some sort of a first aid kit. This one that I had in my car was crap. It's a generic first aid kit. Now, after really having to deal with that, I'm like, I've re reassessed my first aid kit and I have a nice, a good size bottle of alcohol and hydrogen peroxide. So immediately you could wash the wound and the area around the wound. You could have a bunch of gauze. There's my gauze is great and duct tape or, or, or ace bandage because then you could do a pressure wrap. But I was lucky that I had some gauze because I, I probably would have ended up just doing a dirty shirt or something. Yeah, it looks like that duct tape was the best move yeah, that you made because then get it tight on there. Obviously, we have a little bit of a delay here. That's why we're sometimes talking over each other, have silence. But so in terms of like your 
learning experiences. Obviously, you said to have a first aid kit that's suitable for deeper cuts and stuff like that. What about foil handling, or have you thought about just like sanding the, the trailing edge of your foil to make sure it's not as sharp, or like any other learning experiences that you can pass? Oh, hundred percent. To avoid all this, just wear a leash. Like, I. I had a 10 foot surf leash in my car that I used for my surf session before. And I actually, I was like, shoot, I forgot my foil board leash, which is normally a short and thick leash. And, and I held my longboard leash in my hand for a moment. And I'm like, ah, now nah, I'll just no leash it today. It's nothing too crazy out there. This is just another session. I'm always out doing this anyway. And I, and because I didn't have a leash on my board, I held on to my board and I kept it close to me. Whereas if I just had a leash on my ankle, even though it might not have been a dangerous day or anything that I can't control, it was a random situation where I chose to keep my gear closer than it needed to be. And so I, that's the I biggest question. About this, I had a question about this video real quick. It said that the clinic closes at three and you got there at three fifteen, and then, but then all of a sudden you're inside. Is that the same clinic or did you have to drive somewhere else or what happened? No, I, I had to drive to a different clinic. All the way yeah. to Kahului? Or no, not to Kahului. Luckily there was another Lahaina clinic open that closed at four and I was able okay. to go visit them. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that. But sorry, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. I should put like the little annotation or something on the video <laughs> so people know. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like these nurses are really cool. And, and then I was, I'm not going to show the whole thing. That's pretty gross. But then you actually passed out while they were stitching you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the funniest part was these nurses are, are they're foil and they surf and we're already friends. And okay. so when they saw me come into the office, they're like, oh, what happened now? And we got to, we got to have fun with it and everything. But yeah, why, I asked if they don't mind me filming and they're like, yeah, it's cool. Just don't pass out on us all laughing. And I'm like, yeah, okay, uh -huh, whatever. I'll be fine. I normally am pretty good with, with all, with injuries and treating to being there to treat. But I think I got a little overwhelmed because I'm stitching, they're stitching me and I'm filming and then all of a sudden my mom called and my mom, when my mom called, I went to go answer her phone call. And as soon as I lifted the phone to my head, I just remember saying, I think I'm gonna, and I just went out. And luckily the, the other nurse that was there stopped me from rolling off the table. Oh. Wow. That's they also injected some um, like local anesthesia. Yeah, that was that was anesthetic. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they they really had to go deep in and clean it out. So they shot me with some anesthesia, whatever pain relief stuff, and yeah. and then they really got in there and scrubbed it with with these these hospital grade bristles. Yeah, not really, not really. yeah. So it's a process clean it because you don't want to get an infection especially when you have a deep cut like that they ended up doing three different layers of stitches one against the bone to close up the muscle and that that bar or that bottom layer and then another in the middle to pull together that whitey fleshy fat looking stuff and then another layer on top to close it all up and by day two 
I already felt an infection coming on where my leg was starting to get swollen. My glands were getting swollen. I called up the doctor and I'm like, hey, I think it's getting infected. And so I came in and sure enough, it was, they needed to, on day four, I think it was, they reopened the whole thing. They cut open all three layers of stitches and they had to do this process all over again where they got in and scrubbed it with this same Brussel thing and, and just flush it with betadine and and all that good stuff. And, and yeah, it, it got pretty bad actually to a certain point where I'm sure you're pretty familiar with staff and MRSA, Robert, yeah. being here in Hawaii for so many years, but it's nothing to take lightly. And I've been hospitalized many times and threatened to even have uh, limbs cut off if it were to get any worse. And so I was on top of it, but this in infection happened so quick. It, it was crazy. And uh, it got to the point where I was like, they almost sent me to the emergency room to get antibiotic IV drip just through my system where I'd have to pretty much stay there for 12 to 24 hours and be monitored. But luckily, uh, we were able to catch it and they reopened it. They were really aggressive with the cleaning and the draining process when they, when this Dr. Heidi here stitched me back up after reopening it and cleaning it. What she did was she placed a rubber a piece of tubing under the, 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 the stitches. And so at, for, the, for the following days, it could actually continue draining out as it's healing. And that's what really, I think, did the job was that getting back in there and cleaning it. And now I'm on the mend. I think I'm in the clear and hopefully be back back on the water in the next five days or so. Nice. Wow. What an experience, huh? Yeah, I've had the same thing happen on my back. Like I, I hit the back, the reef with my back and had a big cut and they sewed it shut and then it got infected inside and you had to reopen it and stuff like that. It was pretty, pretty bad. So whenever you have cuts like that, you almost have to heal from the inside out. Yeah. Otherwise it's, once you got the, the C bacteria in there. It's gnarly. Yeah. But anyways, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> this is pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, we got viewers tuning out, getting yeah. woozy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can sewn up, but yeah, let's talk about wing fighting because that's what my show is really supposed to be about. But... Well, it goes into some wing foiling there after the doctor clips. Oh, yeah, let's, if, um... let's play this one here. Wing, winging it on West Maui. I watched this oh, yeah. last night. It's a good one. But yeah, so how long have you been wing foiling now? I could look back at my journals and probably get an exact date, but I want to say it was 2018 where I first got to try one with Alan Cadiz and Pete Cabrina at Kanaha, where I was out windsurfing, and I saw them using a prototype Cabrina one. And uh, I remember thinking, I, I saw it around because Kai had his videos floating around with one of his wings on early on. And this was around that same time. And I remember talking to Uncle Alan and Uncle P. I'm like, hey, uh, can I sample? I can sample, Uncle. And they both look at me with the most concerned look. And they're like, you don't have one of these yet? And I'm like, no, I don't have one of those things yet. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, try. 
<laughs> and they're like, bro, this is the only one we have, like, in all of Hawaii besides the one Kai has. Yeah, but just don't do anything crazy on it. And I'm like, okay. And, and they were all pissed because I got up on the thing and right away just boom, just was up and riding and doing planing jibes and tacks. And I came in like, oh, that's pretty fun. Thanks for letting me try. And they're just all pissed. Like, you just came in and out. And we've been trying to do this for weeks. And you and I I even threw a backflip on my first run out. And I, oh, I remember yeah. thinking, just from all my windsurf experience, right away, and of course with the foil experience too, it was easy to put it together. I got up and riding, like, okay, this is cool. What else can I do? <laughs> and just throw the motion of a back loop. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, Oh, there's some potential in this for some pretty fun stuff. And, and I very clearly remember sitting down that night and writing an email to, to Sven and saying, Hey, Sven, I know you've been a little skeptical, wondering if this wing thing is going to be a trend, but I think this thing's going to stick around. I think it's pretty functional. And sure enough, here we are. What, two years later, three years later, I don't know what it was. Winging is taking over the community, in, in Maui at least. I yeah. mean, on Maui, everyone's winging. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool too. And more. The, the windsurfing crowd, but also the surfer, the prone surfers that got into foiling and now they want to wing foil. So it's almost like a bigger community than standard paddling or windsurfing was, yeah? it seems like. more. Diverse. Yeah, just what's. In many ways, it's bringing everyone together, which is cool. It's bringing everyone into one community, which it should be. It should be the ocean community. And that's why I've really loved my experience with wing foiling is just like you said, we're the real popular spot on Maui right now is Kahului Harbor. Now, that's also one of the more popular spots for canoe paddling. It's also one of the more popular spots for foil surfing over at the break. And yeah. so... Now you have all these different communities merging together and everyone's getting a little taste for, for the wing stuff itself. And yeah, so it's really cool to be able to also, I think the most unique thing though is seeing surfers, shortboard surfers, because to, to me, a lot of my friends who shortboard surf are the most closed-minded when it comes to being multifaceted with multiple sports on the water they just don't care to do anything else. They just want to surf. I mean, if it's not good enough to ride the shortboard, they don't want anything to do with it. And now I have friends who are like totally transitioned into foiling and wing riding where it's hard for them to even get on their shortboard anymore because they just have so much more fun and feel that sense of freedom that we get to feel. And I, I don't think surfers truly understand that sense of freedom that a wind sport has. But it's a lot of surfers has had the opportunity to get into hydrofoil surfing. Now, hydrofoil surfing is a good stepping stone into downwind riding. And then once you get into downwind foiling, you're like this, you're, you're getting a taste of what that freedom is, is like. But as soon as you put a sail in your hand or a kite in your hand or a wing in your hand, you could just explore anywhere you want. It's a real special activity to, that really taps into the freedom of accessing all these different places on the water and being able to just explore up and down the coastline. 
So, so Zane, obviously in this video, you're doing like 360s, you're practicing, like doing them over and over, trying to get them down. So can you run us through the kind of step-by-step -step what exactly what you're doing and like your hand placement and so on? Just give us like a step-by-step -step rundown. Yeah, totally. And if anybody's interested for some more of this step-by-step -step stuff, I have a zero to hero wingboarding tutorial on, on I believe it's a free wing YouTube channel. We have seven episodes currently, including a 360 deep, really breaking it down. Should we take a look at that one? Maybe. Probably better. So as I'm talking, get a, a better visual. But yeah, I've also since COVID opened up my coaching and, and mentorship online to virtual classes. And so I started up the water sports division on blazecoaching.io, real popular soccer coaching platform online. And we did, we did a partnership with them to do foiling, surfing, and stand-up paddle. And so that's been a lot of fun, too. People have been sending me a lot of foiling and wing clips lately. And it's a lot of fun to be able to break down these different maneuvers and, and help people from home improve, improve their confidence on the water with the foil or with the wing. Yeah, so, you know, you've always been really into coaching and analyzing the technique. Yeah. I think that's something I really like about your videos too, trying to break it down and make it easy to understand. But actually, yeah, right the video on. here is about tax and jive, so that's probably a little bit more applicable. But yeah, like for more a little bit more entry level stuff. Yeah. So, so one of the one of the biggest things that people I think are asking me about or inquiring about on my social media channels and as well through my coaching is how to better their jibes and tacks with, switch, with switching stance. A lot of people coming from a surf or stand-up paddle background aren't as familiar switching their feet with each turnaround as, say, a windsurfer or a kiter might be. So what I found to be a really easy breakdown of the jibe is to be able to first do a little edge upwind don't just get lost going downwind because then you lose power in your sail. And so what I, what I, or your wing, excuse me, before you turn downwind for your jibe, do a little edge upwind to, to have power in the wing or just make sure you have power in your wing. And then you could actually follow through and lead through your turn, do a nice turn, holding the wing up above your head. And once your nose is pointing straight downwind, you can let go of your backhand and then start to transition your backhand to your front hand and your front to the back. And that's the point where then I'll start to do a little pump with the board up and down. And I switch my feet with the up and down motion. I found it to be a lot easier to go through that little quick motion of changing your feet from regular to goofy to regular in motion with that up and down pump with that roller coaster motion, as opposed to just trying to go straight, stay still and then jump into position. And so that's something to really keep in mind that a lot of my students have found to be super helpful is, but do your turnaround first with the wing. Once you switch your hands, your cross stance, then you could go up and down with a little pumping motion, little roller coaster. And then on your, before you start driving down from a higher altitude, you could 
slide your slide your back foot to the middle position and do that quick transition from from your back foot to your front foot and of course everyone's weight distribution and pivot point is going to be a little different according to their, their board and their foil and it really just takes time getting that confidence and the quick shuffle but remember that the wing is going to allow us to have the stability to do that shuffle and also the slight engagement of the foil up and down. And so give your foil something to do with that up and down motion before you go into that switch. And also make sure you have a little bit of power holding your weight up. So you can do a little weightless uh, footwork. Now, uh, one of the best exercises to practice this kind of stuff I think for cross sport is, is longboard surfing, doing your cross, cross stepping and stuff like that. Also, even just walking a curb in the parking lot before you go out, walk the curb and, and cross step your feet and maybe practice doing some quick changes with light footwork from one stance to the next. And yeah, for the most part, it's repetition. Even for me coming in, from a windsurf background, it took me a little bit of time to, to really dial in getting comfortable. And still to this day, there's certain situations where I'll choose to stay in my goofy foot stance. Yeah, I mean, especially I guess when, you really, when you have a really small board, it's actually pretty hard to switch stance on. Yeah, you just don't have that much room for two foot straps and stuff in the front too, right? So here on Oahu, most guys that ride shorter boards, they just don't switch their stance. But, and then another, another helpful tip is to, when you do switch stance in the beginning, it's good to just, after the jive, just drop down on the water, switch your feet, and then come back up on the foil again. That, that makes it a lot easier be, until you're comfortable moving your feet around while you're up on the foil. Yeah, okay. totally. You could bring the board back down to the water and have that extra stability for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are good tips. What about these jumps? Any... Can you break those down? Yeah, you know, for a little bit there, I was like starting to get a little bit um, bored with the 360 and this donkey kick. Cause it was like, like everyone was doing it and it seemed like it was one of the only tricks you could do. And sure enough, that, that motivated me and I'm sure a lot of other people to try and get creative doing other things. But these 360s definitely gave me a lot of excitement in between that transition. Because the donkey kicks were probably the first maneuver I, I worked on and really dialed. The 360s, both front side and back side, both into the wind and downwind, were really fun variations of maneuvers to work on. And so I'd say the easiest variation of the 360 is the downwind rotation in your normal stance so not not switched not on your backside just going out with the, in your natural stance or going in if your natural stance is going in holding the wing doing a nice edge into the wind and then a slight pull on the backhand as you kick your back foot out behind you and rotating downwind and that one is a really fun variation, but what helps is to the quicker you transfer your hands. And as soon as you, you get off the water with a slight edge into the wind, 
then you could give a little pull with your backhand, but it's more so just kicking out that back foot and almost doing like that 180 motion with the, the foil board. Once you let go of your backhand, that's what's going to really light up your rotation. And so if you want to slow down your rotation, like in that one right there, I held on to the last moment to keep my rotation steady and not have a change of pace. But if you want to really speed it up, let go of that backhand, switch your hands, and you get that quick rotation. Yeah. Now, once you do come down, you got to switch your hands really quick. Now, this was actually a different from what I was explaining, though, because that was a, a backside one. But that's a good example. There's four different variations of 360s. You could do your natural stance, your switch stance, and then you could also do it with a downwind rotation or an upwind rotation. Have you tried the ones with the up? I've been trying to do the ones with the upwind rotation, but keeping the sail, keeping the wing, and just spinning the wind wing through the wind. Have you tried those? It's so funny. Every time it looks like that. Every time I want to do one of those, like, 360s without into the wind without letting go I, I i'd end up doing a backflip or like some oh, really? sort of a sideways backflip oh, and it's okay. funny because i have wing riders um ah shoot i'm spacing his name one of one of the last so there's that wing event in brazil i think exactly. the guy got sec second place oh um, yeah balls miller right yeah who got first place oh Baltz Muller? Oh, and then what's his name? A younger kid. Yeah. Um, From New Caledonia. Um, Tituan? Yeah. Tituan. Tituan. Yeah. So Tituan actually messaged me and he was like, dude, how in the heck are you doing your backflips like that? Like more like straight up and down. Yeah. And I, I responded back to him, dude, how in the heck are you doing your sideways spinners? Like, oh, it's <laughs> It's just our unique style is more, I'm, I more naturally can throw the top to bottom more like up and down type of flip, yeah. but I have a harder time with that more horizontal spinner. Right. And, and Tituan seemed to have the opposite where he maybe has a, some sort of a block for the, the straight up and down backflip, but can do the, the sideways backflip slash 360. And so I've been actually playing around with it quite a bit and still haven't felt super comfortable with that maneuver. But I do feel like the backflips are keeping me real busy. The other day, I came pretty close to landing a double backflip. Oh, um, so maybe walk us through the backflip. Yeah, like what's, I, I see, it's almost like you're doing a windsurfing backflip. You look for a steep ramp and you just throw yourself back. But can you break it down step by step a little bit? That's something I've been wanting to try. This the back. As a windsurfer and for the windsurf viewers that are listening, you could relate to this, Robert. Approaching a, a lip or a wave for a back loop and a, and a push loop is a little different, right? So I was making the mistake early on with my backflips of going too far into the wind. And there's a certain point where just the wing would be like all up against my body. And then it's hard to bring the wing back in a position where it's getting powered up. And so then I started approaching it more like a push loop where actually just before you hit the wave, go at a straight reach, maybe even a little bit on a downwind reach. And so just slightly downwind into the wave so that you could actually have 
the power in the wing throughout the rotation or throughout the majority of the rotation. And so you could see right there, there's a moment where the I back wind the wing like a push loop. But I'd say it's easier to do this with a little bit of downwind as opposed to a little bit of upwind. And so right there, slight backwind. And then what you'd want to do is not have it get stuck in that backwinded position. You want to be able to whip it right back up and over your head. So the more you could have the wing powered up throughout the rotation, the more smooth it's going to be. Okay, so you're saying go a little bit upwind? More, yeah, I guess like a push loop, but then do you think about throwing your head back, like just trying to take, so on the takeoff? Totally, yeah. So takeoff, point, you point downwind slightly, and I like to think of it more so with the, you angle the wing from pointing forward like it is now, to all of a sudden you just drive your up hand, your forward hand up, your bottom hand around and you're looking over your front sh over your shoulder behind your head and really throwing the wing like this like whoop, back towards the beach you load up the power so then you point it straight up in the air and then your hands continue that momentum behind you now all of a sudden you're swinging the wing behind you as your body's arched and then from there, you just got to, you time the arch depending on how big your jump is. You arch more if it's a big jump and you arch less and tuck if it's a small jump. For me, I have a lot more fun throwing it off of waves because I could get way higher and I could just have more fun with the arch and play with it a bit more. But the flat water ones, you really have to spin them quick. You want to like, it's all with the flat water ones, it's more of, that slicing rotation, like you go full speed and you slice your foil slightly upwind a little bit. You hit that chop and immediately you're just throwing your feet up into the air as your wing is getting powered up to the sky and pulling and throwing behind you. And with the flat water ones, I think it's really important to pull that front hand, pull that front hand in and backwind the wing sooner rather than later so you could fold the the fold the flip as opposed to the smooth roll yeah right on cool thanks for that breakdown let's talk a little bit about gear and stuff like so what what have you learned about the foil gear the wings and all that kind of stuff any anything you can share on that just so all top secret stuff not really much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try and ride whatever I can. I'll try and give test test rides on all the gear because I think I think there's a lot of concepts floating around, but everyone's doing the same thing. Or at least in the past it's been like that. Everyone was making the same type of thing, type of design. Now you have people getting a little more out of the box and a little more risky with the designs and concepts and so Testing gear right now is more exciting than ever. I, of course, work close with Starboard and AK Durable Supply Co. So the most majority of my sessions, I'm riding the Starboard foils or the AK foils. I've found that 
I'm just wanting to go smaller and smaller. That's one of the biggest things that I've noticed with a lot of my wing riding lately is anything with the wing in my hands, I'm probably going to be using a 1300, a thousand or an 800 on Maui. And so quite small wings, as opposed to what you might be riding in, in the waves. My most used wings, wing size, for the actual wing thing, <laughs> the inflatable wing is a four meter and a five meter, believe it or not, especially because I like a smaller hydrofoil wing. I sometimes prefer to have that little extra power to get me up and going. But of course, on Maui, you get away with the three meter a lot. And those days where you do have the three meter, Oh, you could really just feel so lively to be able to do some quick rotations and flips and things like that. But there's something about the four meter and the five meter that just floats. If you just want to fly high and, and float, I usually end up going one bigger than I want. Yeah. And um, um, I mean, usually for beginners, we usually recommend going with a bigger foil just because it makes it easier to come up out of the water and it's more stable and you can fly it slower. 100%. And then yeah, the smaller foils are just, once you get on a wave, just because the big foils, they're just not fast enough to keep up with the bigger waves or faster moving waves. And then for turning and carving and things like that, just the smaller yep. can go the better really almost, right? Yeah, the, the idea is the, the bigger, the more lift, the smaller the less lift now with less surface area and a smaller wing you also have the opportunity to go faster i would say if you're learning you want to go on something around 1600 to maybe even 2000 if, if you're a bigger guy most of my lessons that i teach at our foil school here on maui because we've been teaching hydrofoil as one of our primary activities at our surf school it's most of our lessons are getting guys out for their first time on a 1600 behind the boat or jet ski. And uh, there, it seems to be a pretty f comfortable size to not be moving too fast, but have nice slow speed lift and control. But as you start getting better, one of the things that you're going to start to notice maybe before speed is that ability to roll into your turns. And so as a intermediate or beginner rider, you might not want to be rolling into turns so much. You want to do more flat pivotal turns where you're keeping the board flat and you're just doing these direction changes, keeping the board flat. But as you start to get better, it, it, you can have a little bit more opportunity for maneuvers by leaning into and rolling into your turns. The wider your span is on your wings, the harder it is to roll into turns. And so that's one of the biggest reasons why I've really wanted to go smaller with wing riding, because a lot of the time you're edging right before going into the air for a big jump and a flip, I'm edging into the wind for that last little bite of power or edging downwind a little bit to, to release power. And so being able to have that little extra control of edging into the wind or downwind turning side to side is important because as soon as the tip of the wing breaks the surface, if you're rolling over and you have a wide wingspan, it's, you're not going to be able to lean over as much before that wing 
hits the water and breaks the surface and then gets aerated and you lose you lose all your all your lift because air gets under the wing and yeah i think if you're looking for more performance stuff think about the width of your wing not necessarily just the size yeah and that's why also like the super high aspect wings are not necessarily that easy to ride because yeah when you turn them when you try to turn them they breach more easily because they're so wide they have such a wide wingspan and they don't have that curve so having a yeah. lower aspect sometimes in, in the waves it's actually easier to use a narrower flow right? that's not as wide but as I'm sure you're starting to see in your local foil spots, it's there's different types of foilers. You have some people who are just really into pumping. Some people who are who could care less about pumping and they just want to get their turns to be a little more critical and just make it look more like a shortboard maneuver. And then you get other guys who really want that just smooth ride and be able to not really turn too much but just feel like they're cadillac they're just cruising and so depending on what style you want to achieve it's going to determine your gear and so if you like to pump around and you like to connect waves and you want to just stay up and riding then hey a high aspect foil 13 to 1600 is probably going to be really nice you might really like just pumping around catching plenty of waves but if you want to do start to do break the the tip and do really nice snappy turns and really sharp radius turns then maybe a more medium aspect low aspect foil is going to help for those sharper turns so you were saying you do beginner lessons for foiling and stuff. Maybe can you talk a little bit about the most common mistakes people make and like give some pointers for just beginners, I guess the, the, the very beginning foiling tips, like what, because sometimes once you get more advanced, it's harder to think about the challenges of learning it. You know? Yeah, totally. One of the, one of the biggest things that I think helps for the student is to start with a clean slate. Try to approach this sport humbly and almost forget about your previous board riding knowledge because our surf knowledge, if we stick to it, could hinder us. I also recommend doing some sort of mentorship or lesson if possible because you, I've seen a lot of people who are very talented athletes just beat themselves up and spend more money than they need to, both on gear and maybe even medical bills. There's a there's an appropriate way to do this. And I, I tell you what, it's learning behind the boat or jet ski with a coach and in a controlled environment with the appropriate learning gear. If you're a first time rider, you buy a kite surf foil on Craigslist and you mount it to your shortboard and you try to go paddle around, I tell you what, you're gonna have a hard time. So if you can get behind a boat or jet ski and start off with very little movements, keep your body in the majority of your weight over your, your front foot, which is counterintuitive from other board sports. And also keep your center of gravity straight over that foil or 
more so you could think standing upright, which is also counterintuitive from surfing. A lot of times surfing, we want to get really low. And sometimes our butt and our chest has a tendency to get over the water. Foiling, we really want to try and bring our weight over the foil. And so in the beginning, I'm always reminding my students, check your center line, make sure your feet are completely along the stringer or the center of the board. Make sure you're starting off with the majority of your weight over your front foot to keep the board on the water. Make a goal of keeping the board on the water before you get into flight. And then from there, you from control on the water, you could slowly distribute your weight back towards your back foot and slowly achieve lift. Now, one of the biggest things that's gonna help with the smooth transition here is to immediately shift forward again because achieving lift is so much more easy than controlled landing. So as soon as you start to feel like you have control with the board on the water, your body over your front foot, then check your posture, stand up erect, keep your body more upright and control that weight distribution back towards your back foot. And as soon as you feel that lift, shift forward again, nice and smooth and bring the board back down because that transition from nose up to nose down, lift to land is what's going to give us all of our control. It's that transition up to down, that transition from water flowing on the bottom side of the wing to the top side of the wing. So as soon as you feel that lift, shift forward again, and then you could take it slowly from there a little higher and shift forward, bring it back down a little higher, shift forward. And instead of bringing it down, just neutral, level it out. You're not going higher. You're not going lower. You just have it level. You're focusing on your eyes and your breath, your eyes focusing out in front of you and also focusing on your breath, minimizing your movements because the, the, the best thing you could do, especially if we're talking controlled speed behind the boat, holding the rope is keep your movements minimal and control your weight distribution from the front to the back and back to front. Um, do you have people like when they're behind the boat, do you have people try to get out of the wake or do you have them straight behind the boat? Totally, yeah. You, I think you'll feel real quick those bubbles from the wake and this, these, you want to immediately get out of the bubbles and out of the wake in order to feel a little bit of control and feel that smooth sensation, the foil moving through water. Relate it to an airplane. Would you rather be flying on an airplane with turbulence the whole time or would you rather be flying in smooth air? You know, it's the same thing. If you want controlled flight, then try and find smooth water outside of the turbulence from the engine. All right, yeah, those are some really good pointers for beginners, I think. I appreciate you for sharing so much love to my YouTube channel, Robert. Yeah, I got to, that's the whole idea. Play some videos while you're talking. So talk a little bit about, I know like on Instagram, you were showing some, I had some footage of you wing foiling at Jaws getting, I guess you were actually let go of the wing and then just surfed it without the wing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. 
So that was really exciting. I was a little underprepared as far as my equipment goes because I only had my smallest wings I could get my hands on from AK was a 800 square centimeter. And this is something that I pump around on and surf with in, in shoulder high waves. But it was the smallest thing I had. So I decided I would build my experience out at Peahi with it and see how it works. And so I was out on my normal setup that we saw there in that video, 4.8, a 4.8 board with an 800 square centimeter foil. And I didn't have a jet ski or, or a budget to pay for a team. And so I went out there thinking, hey, if it's a tow day and or if it's windy, I'm not going to miss on the action. I'm just going to pump up my wing and and go wing into some waves and, and have some fun. And I was just thinking of it as like a way to stay out there and have fun, right? Accessibility opportunity. And, uh, and so yeah, I, I ended up having a lot of fun getting into some waves with the wing. And that was the first day anyone's ever taken a wing out at, out at Peahi. And uh, it was not as functional as I thought with that foil though and the wing itself. Because I couldn't get going fast enough with the speed of that wave, I kept feeling the sensation that I was stuck at the top of the wave or at the middle of the wave using my wing. And eventually, with, because what happens, the wave moves so fast and it hits the trade winds to the point where the wind is literally going straight up. It hits the wave and it just creates apparent lift going straight up. And so as I'm dropping in down into the wave, the force of the apparent wind against my inflatable wing is, is more. And so I want to drop in, but it's actually lifting me out the back. And so I thought, I'm just going to ditch my wing. I took, I went back to the channel. I took my leash off of my wing. I, I, I gave a little heads up to one of the jet ski drivers. And I was like, hey, I might let go of my wing. Can you get it? And he's okay. And so I went into the wave and right as the, the parent wind started to catch me and lift me up, I let go of my wing and was able to just continue riding the wave with my hydrofoil. But even then I realized it's not just my wing that's slowing me down. It's actually my hydrofoil too. I mean, my 800 square centimeter hydrofoil, I felt like I was completely maxing the thing out, just leaning so far forward, trying to keep the thing controlled. And yeah, so I couldn't quite go as deep as I wanted to or get as critical or really ride how I wanted to. But regardless, I got to build experience foiling out at Peahi and I got to learn a lot about what kind of equipment might work and what isn't going to work out there. And you know, after talking with Kai, he, he was like, dude, you're crazy. I can't believe you're out there with that foil. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I would never ride anything like this size on anything bigger than like a 300. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. 300, 400. That's a hell of a lot smaller than 800. I, I was happy to be able to pull off what I could with what I had. I don't have the big budget to make custom wings or a big budget to have water safety and jet ski teams. But I got to have so much fun that day uh, with the self-assist with the wing and riding with the foil. And it was a good day for it because it wasn't super crowded. 
But awesome. I'm waiting for my big wave foil, though. I, I told Starboard and AK, I'm like, dude, I need a foil to push, start building more experience in big surf because I'm comfortable in big waves. I really want to push the limits. I just need something that will allow me to handle that speed and, and that force. For sure. A few days after that, I think Kyleni was riding. He was posting some a video of him like getting these huge airs on the and off the face of the wave and like floating down the face of Jaws. It was just insane. Yeah, and that but, was actually just with a normal tow board. Yeah, he, so and he that got was, pulled into those waves, right? Yeah, so that was I want to say the end of Jan. I I don't quite remember when he did that, but the the day that I went out was January third and sixth with the wind wing and later kyle and he went out i want to say later in january and he got tow surf his tow team pulled him with with the the tow rope on the jet ski and one hand with the wing and then got into it on his tow board no foil and then as soon as he grabbed onto the wing it was pretty much fly time because of that apparent wind i was telling you about and there's definitely something to be said about opportunities for just no foil on a tow board having fun with that apparent lift and if you're a if you're a hang glider then you look for those locations where you have that apparent lift to give you that nice long flight when you when you slide off mountain this is essentially the same thing except the mountain is moving into the wind and so honestly i can't wait to try that that, that looks so freaking fun what, what yeah. kai's did with the with the tow board and the wing yeah. I'm really excited to give that a go. It's pretty insane. Uh, I just, it's a little hesitant for me though, um, as I'm goofy footed. And so as soon as I got get off the water in that situation with my bot, lower body all twisted, my upper body, my lower body wants to start doing a 360. And so it's, but I'm going to get, I'm going to find someone to tow me in like that and give that a go once, once my injury heals up for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. You get so much float out of that jump. Like this one here. Yeah, a lot the of wind just goes straight up the face. So it's like it's just floating in the air. It's so cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you see Zane, tell if you see Kai, tell him I'm interested in talking to him about that too. I'll try to, I'll try to yeah. Let's just talk a little bit about life, life, nutrition, what you do to stay sane during the pandemic and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. And any advice for people? I know like, during the pandemic, I know so many people are you know, struggling with, you know, loneliness or addiction and things like that. Depression. Yep. So any lifestyle or any tips on living, living your best life? As Robert, we're very fortunate with our location here through, through this pandemic. But we still have experienced a taste of the, lo the lockdown and business closures and it was a pretty crazy time, even on Maui. I'm not sure what it was like on Oahu, but it was wild. And I'm very grateful that I was able to be home through this because there was a, a short time there where I was stuck in Indonesia through February. And all of a sudden, borders were closing, airlines are shutting down, and I couldn't get home. No matter how much money I had, I couldn't get home. And it was scary at that point, but luckily we were able to find a flight home and I made it back. And, and so I started off this pandemic with a good attitude because 
I was facing the reality that I might be in a foreign country without my family through this really uncertain times. Early February, when I started, when literally all of Bali shut down and my contest I was there for canceled. All of a sudden I tried to get flights home. You couldn't even get connected with the airlines. They're busy, lines shut down, too busy. And so it was, for me to get home and be with my family was like a sigh of relief. But then I started realizing this is actually real serious. Like I started losing a lot of my sponsorship funding our business shut down. Our surf school had to legally shut down. Our all, pretty much all, our whole community had to stay inside for a certain time and started to feel like, whoa, this is our whole lives may change. And I didn't want to let that consume me too much. And so I, I tried to stay as busy as I could, however I could, whether it was keeping up with home workouts while at home um, doing push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and rebuilding my website and catching up on emails and all that computer work that I always put aside because I'm having too much fun in the water. But that first month was like a lot of catch-up. I was able to catch up on stuff. And, and then the second month came and I'm like, oh, this is still happening and still not making money for anything, not our, any of our businesses or sponsors. And so I started to realize I need to get creative making some money. And I started offering online coaching through, since we couldn't do coaching at our school, I started doing online coaching. And I, I got a lot of people doing wing full and foil video submissions for personal coaching. And that kept me pretty occupied for a bit. One of my big goals that's been lately keeping me really motivated is starting my foundation. I mentioned earlier, I have had an unofficial not-for-profit for over 12 years called the Insane Supergrams. And now we've, we've decided to go all out, get our 501c3 and get us in a position where we could do more for the kids in our community. And so our mission at Kahakukahi is to inspire Keiki to choose healthy, active lifestyles that uplift our community and the environment through mentorship and sport. And uh, we try to get kids stoked on surfing or paddling and foiling and in return, inspire them to be ocean guardians themselves and care for this natural environment that, that brings so much opportunity into our lives. And uh, we offer scholarships and equipment. And, and so... Now that I actually have this 501c3 filed and we got our website going and website. hoping to... If someone wants to donate, where do they go? They could go to kahakukahi.com and that's K-A-H-A-K-U-K-H-I.com or they could reach out to me through any of my social media and I'll share the info. Our website is not public yet. We're still working on launching and we should have our 501c3 paperwork within the following months. So we're so, my wife and I are really excited about that because now it'll give us a chance to maybe even get more kids that we want involved in these programs because in the past we weren't legally allowed to pick up people. They had to already have rides. Now that we have a foundation, we could actually pick up at-risk kids, underprivileged kids, alternatively abled kids, and be able to physically take them to the beach and, and, and get them set up with scholarships for equipment, for mentorship, 
for uh, education and science-based programs and uh, 100% with the goal to give these kids passion on the water and a reason to, to be guardians of our community and environment. And so that's been keeping me so excited lately. And especially with this injury now, I um, can't be in the water at all. It's been, it's been really fun. But for everyone out there who is on more serious lockdown, I have friends out in the Philippines and all over Asia where still it's serious lockdown. And the best thing we could do in these times is try and keep our mental and our physical fitness up. And our mental and physical health is so important. And so it's too easy to get caught up looking at Facebook or YouTube or, or Netflix all day if you're locked up in your home. Give, make a goal. Give yourself one hour. Start with just one hour to yourself. Whether it's trying to do some stretching, some breathing, a little bit of physical fitness and exercise. Even if you have a tiny little studio apartment, maybe that means just doing some Wim Hof breathing. Maybe that means doing some push-ups and pull-ups. Maybe that means doing some journaling and getting familiar with a daily routine that you could have. That's all distractions. Because I think even for myself, it's so easy to just wake up and get sidetracked in work or in social media or in caught up with the overwhelming whatever you have going on in life and I notice that if I don't give myself that time which is usually best in the morning for me first thing just give myself that time to to know how I feel to know what I want to know if it helps me throughout my day yeah sorry to interrupt um do you have a routine of things that you do every morning, like a, a certain routine that you do every morning? Yeah, for, I, I do. For, but can you share exactly like what you do after you get up? I love to drink tea. So tea is a good routine for me. I'll wake up, I'll get some tea going. I like to do my morning journaling. My morning journaling consists of a meditation that's instilled in it. It starts off with writing down three things you're grateful for. And, and this was a practice my grandmother left with me. She told me that at, with the attitude of gratitude, you'll never have an excuse to be unhappy. When you're grateful, you'll always have something to be happy for. And so through these times, I think it's more important than ever to stick to my journaling routine. And I've kept up to this over the last 10 years, almost to the day, no matter where I am in the world, and so I try and I'm keeping to that. My morning journaling starts with gratitude. And then it starts with three things that I could do to make today great. Three things that would make my day feel proactive or feel, feel successful. And first thing in the morning, I'll sit there and it might even take me 10 minutes to really think, what do I want to accomplish today? According to how I feel. According to my current state of mind and my well-being, what do I want to do today? And just those three little sentences that I write down, that determines every choice I make for the rest of the day. Then if I'm met with the choice to watch a Netflix show or to work on my website, because I did that little journaling in the morning, I'm not going to get sidetracked and procrastinate. I'm going to get straight to one step closer to my 
day being successful, to my day being one step more amazing. And then I'll also finish it with a daily affirmation and a community a community goal, which I call a blue life choice. And Robert, if you've been following me over the years, you've probably seen this hashtag I've been sharing, live a deep blue life, deep hashtag, deep blue life, hashtag blue life choices, hashtag embrace the power of choice. This is my way of taking my daily journaling and meditation, which is very selfish. But that's the point of it, right? It's to, it's to tap into our own. It's to figure out how, what we want to accomplish for how we're feeling. But I believe from over 10, 15 years of journaling that my most, my most prized days that have stuck with me, both in my mind and in my heart, and stand out the most when I recall my journals, are the days in which I could accomplish a goal that helps someone else or that helps our community. And so a blue life choice is my way to recite an action that will uplift my community or environment around me. It could be something as simple as planting a tree or, or supporting the local farmer's market. Or it could mean doing some coaching online with one of my students who, who's been, you know, wanting to do some coaching. Maybe it can mean sending a, a thoughtful message to a friend or family member that you haven't talked to in a long time. Heck, it could even mean writing a review on a product that has changed your life. Or it could mean a number of things. It's the possibilities are endless. And the more you start to practice gratitude, and the more you start to bring in others into your daily choices, the easier it starts to become to be grateful and to be there for others and to be there for your community. And I think that's why I'm so happy. I owe so much. It gives me chicken skin because I think back to my grandma giving me my first journal. And, you know, she said, Zane, if you journal, you'll never forget your experiences with the world and its people. And if you embrace the attitude of gratitude, you'll never have a reason to be unhappy. And I owe so much of my success, my mind state, and my values to this simple practice of taking a few minutes each morning and even each evening to journal. I've, I even take that same practice into the evening but then I'll write down three things that made today great three things that I actually did and accomplished that made today great and then I'll write down something I could have done to make today better that's awesome I, I love that and, and so for me it's the base of my mental my mental health but it's also the foundation for my manifestations and my journaling and my power of choice. Because we might not know it, but we rely so much on our subconscious calls to action. And we sometimes have to be a little more conscious with these uh, practices that we know are going to be more, that are going to be healthier for us and yeah i might rather get on youtube and watch some killer surf videos or or go run out of the door and surf even but i know if i don't do my journaling in the morning i'm missing out on an opportunity i'm missing out on 
on bringing my day to the fullest. I'm missing out on truly tapping into how I feel today. Yeah, good, awesome. All right, I think we went way longer than I <laughs> asked you to schedule, but I really appreciate that. That was really cool stuff at the end. I think that. Oh yeah, we did. Good, good, life, um, good life advice. But I don't know what do you want to leave people with, and who do you who do you want to plug anyone, spot your sponsors, or I know because I think you, last time you met, you gave me your book, and and you talk about the journaling in there too. I mean, I guess a lot of it, also your stories. You, I guess it's. I haven't journaled since I was like 18 years old, I think, but maybe I should start doing that again. It's a good way to start your day for sure. I like that. I'll share with you my favorite journals if you're looking for them, because there's a, a few that I like that, that really fit this style of journaling. And I'm actually working on publishing my second book, which is this exact style of journaling we just talked about with those blue life choices incorporated into them. And I guess to leave everyone off, I'd like to share my gratitude for all my supporters online. Like over the years, I've tried to separate my life online and, and personally because I find it inauthenticates myself. But I've found that through these times, I'm so grateful for my online community because It, it's given me a voice through this, these times. It's given me a platform to stay, to feel like I could keep busy and to keep sharing with others. And I think that's a huge part of me. And I didn't really realize that truly until I was stuck at home on quarantine. It's how grateful I am for all of you guys that tune into my Facebook or Instagram or, or watch my newsletter every Friday or, And for those guys who take it a step further and actually get to share surfs with and get out in person with, yeah, yeah, I think we all won't take those experiences for granted after this time with COVID. But, but yeah, thank you to, to all the viewers and also to my sponsors that I have today. They're still behind me, even through these challenging times, uh, Starboard and, and AK Foils and Maui Gym Sunglasses, Honolulu Surf Co., you know, Celsius energy, now foods. Appreciate it. And Robert, you too, for giving me a chance to, to talk story with you. Sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Here at the end, the Wi-Fi disconnected and I lost Zane at the end. But uh, I hope you got as much out of this interview as I did. I learned a lot. Hope you did too. And if you like this show, also check out next week's interview with Baltz Muller. And uh, we post a new video every Saturday at 7 a.m. Hawaii time. So make sure to subscribe to the Blue Planet Surf YouTube channel down below. And give it a thumbs up if you enjoyed it. Ask questions and comments, uh, questions for future interviews that you want to know about. And I'll try to answer it all. So thank you so much for watching. See you on the water. Aloha.